This is Ryan Nidell, host of 15 Minutes of Freedom, your daily podcast driven to make your life better in every capacity possible. If you do me a favor today, if you find value in today's episode, jump on wherever you're listening and leave me a review, a comment, anything you can do to share value back with me would be greatly appreciated. Today I have a phenomenal guest on the show, somebody that we clicked right away when I was out at Colby Cabayas's Meltdown in the Desert, and we'll get into the, the whole story, but his name's Bradley Callow. Bradley, say hello to everybody. Hey, hey how's everybody doing? Excited to be here. Uh, excited to uh, to see how far Ryan's come in this podcast in such a short amount of time. That is nothing uh, short of, it's got to be some sort of world record, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I appreciate that. It's you, you the listener, that have propelled it to this level. I mean, last month, Bradley, we hit three hundred and eighty thousand unique downloads. So for just that month, wow. I'm just about at eight hundred thousand since I launched Uniques. So across two hundred and ten countries, like it's all over the place. It's really crazy what's happened just by sharing our truth. Really, I mean, it, and that's we'll just dive right into this. That's how I met Bradley. So Bradley and I were both in attendance at. Meltdown in the Desert, an event in Phoenix slash Scottsdale, Arizona. I admittedly hadn't seen Bradley once over this two-day event. Like I, I didn't consciously recognize or pick him out of the crowd. Not that I shouldn't have, but you know, you're there, and I, I had a little speaking part from stage, and there was some scuttle around some different events, and really just didn't connect with him. And then as the final part of the event wound down, and there was a, I hate to use the term VIP because that just sounds so cheesy to me, but there was there was a pool party for people that were friends of. You know, Colby that put on put on the the meltdown, and so well here, said. Yeah, here here we are. What the W in Scottsdale? It's hot as can be. For those of you that haven't been in Scottsdale in July, it's a hundred plus degrees. And whoever says dry heat is not hot is definitely not from Ohio, because I was freaking burning, like just sweating, just literally walking around the pool. Get to the pool. I'm on borrowed time because so I have another meeting in. Oh gosh, doesn't even matter where. But knew I had to take off pretty quickly, but want to go make an appearance. As soon as I get there, the guys I'm with, my wife, Lindsay, we, we drop our bags and Bradley's the first person I meet. Again, we're underneath this cabana and I'm taking off my shirt to, you know, sit by the pool or whatever it was. And we just hit it off. And it, it was like, Brad, I think you actually opened up the conversation. I don't think it was me. I would love to take credit for it, but I'm pretty sure it was you that introduced yourself or said something to me to, to as an opener. I believe I mentioned something about the authenticity of your speaking because you know as a professional speaker i'm always looking to refine and my own craft mm -hmm. and just recognizing gifts in other people and, and i think that's how the conversation started in fact i'm, I'm almost positive well, either that or you had your shirt off and i just wanted to talk <laughs> to you because you took your shirt off but hey what, I, i'm pretty sure that's not the case what, whatever it is i'll take <laughs> otherwise it otherwise it'd be an awkward conversation with my wife it, it would have been so Bradley owns a company called Rich Legacy that not only does Bradley do public speaking literally all over the world at this point, you know, addresses large crowds and gets them to have some massive impactful shifts in their lives. But Bradley also owns and runs an organization that specializes in basically father son retreats. Is that right, Bradley? Uh, that's, that's part of it. So, so Rich Legacy as a whole, we're all about helping high performing families empower their kids. Uh, that typically is entrepreneurs or executives and uh, in doing so we're really just helping them being as intentional with their family as they are with their business so they all have business plans and uh, you know elaborate uh, cultures and bringing all these consultants and goal setting and standard operating procedures and all these things because they want to ensure they hit their goals 
Uh, but then when I ask them even what their goals are for their family, much less how they're going to achieve them, most of them look at me like I'm crazy. Uh, and so it's helping them get clear on what are those goals and then how they're going to achieve them as, as a family. And simultaneously, the byproduct of that is keeping them away from self-destructive behaviors uh, because that's the road that I went down uh, despite coming from a really good family. Yeah, and, and talk about impactful. And that was one of the things, so as Bradley had his opener with me. My, I was the last speaker on the last day of Meltdown in the Desert. My speech was about authentic vulnerability. I'm pretty sure I've covered that in a previous show. Bradley opens with to me with that, ask a few questions, whatever they were, and then we dive pretty deep down the rabbit hole with you opening up right away this war chest of your life. And I say war chest, I mean, we're all formed, in my opinion, and forged from the things that have happened in our lives up to this point. And you have some of the most incredible stories, events that have formed you into today. Would you mind sharing some of those with us? So it's, it's all about perspective because to me, I, I look at, at my stories and feel like, wow, you know, I, I, I've gone through so little in comparison to so many people that I've met, uh, but it is my journey. And, and, and I do think our, our pain is, is our power. And I really, see that the most beautiful people that I know and the most creative people and the people that give the most back to the world are those that have really experienced pain in some sort of significant way and use that pain as energy uh, to, to bring something positive to the world. So uh, as far as my particular journey, you know, I grew up in one of the uh, wealthiest counties in the country. Um, had really good parents that were present in my life. You know, my dad was, was an entrepreneur and, and uh, had a a growing accounting practice that they got to be pretty substantial in size. Uh, my mom was a former special ed teacher and ended up being a stay-at-home mom to raise my older brother and I. And uh, despite their their best intentions, I started using drugs at 11 years old. And it, it, it makes me sad still. And you know, I, I've shared this a lot of times, but sometimes it just strikes me in a different way because I, I work with families and I work with kids and we just had these father-son retreats into uh, a couple weeks ago in Park City, and to think about an 11-year-old, right? To think and look at an 11-year-old, and to think that I was in such a place of pain, uh, such a desire to change the way I felt at such a young age is um, is just really sad to me, especially given the again the circumstances that I came from. And so my uh, my journey got darker o- over the years, and uh, the the drugs that I was I was doing got worse, and and my willingness to sell drugs didn't come long after I started doing drugs because I'm, hey, I'm an entrepreneur with every fiber of my being. So I started selling drugs at 11 just at the same time that I started doing drugs. Now, granted, the market size is not very big at 11 years old, but uh, that too grew um, as my drug use evolved and my self-destructive behaviors. And, you know, by 16, I had a sawed-off shotgun in my trunk. Um, it was it was ugly. It was darkness, but on the on the surface, in many ways, I was able to keep up a pretty good front, um, and made it to college. Uh, was suspended from college and arrested for felony distribution within just a month of being there, and unfortunately, within three weeks of turning eighteen, bad timing for me. So uh, started started my young adult life off as a felon. Thankfully, was able to go back to college and finish, uh, and then got out and. Uh, within two years, found myself on my knees with a gun to my own head in a Los Angeles apartment. And I still don't know to this day why I didn't take my own life. And I wish I had some, oh, wow, epiphany. And, oh, it happened. It, it didn't happen because 
you know, I was meant to bring this message to the world and all this other kind of cliche stuff that you hear, but I really have no idea. It is, it is amazing to me to this day that I did not kill myself um, that afternoon. And from there, I, I wish I could say that that was my rock bottom and I decided to turn my life around, but uh, things got, got worse before they got better. I attempted to sign myself into a rehab and I'd been on Ritalin since I was eight years old and uh, they took me off cold turkey. I was 26 at the time that I signed myself into rehab and, and my brain just short-circuited. Uh, my brain did not know how to operate without uh, those chemicals in it. And I was homicidal, I was suicidal, I was just nuts, but I kept it all, all very much inside and uh, ended up deciding my new life plan would be to rob drug dealers. And not long after was uh, arrested for shooting a gun out the window in Baltimore City, Maryland. And thankfully my old felony had been pardoned and expunged after so many years. Otherwise I would have definitely done prison time and, and the judge saw fit for me to have another chance. And I went and spent about a year in uh, rehab programs. The first one was a wilderness program. I spent three months in Colorado, Utah, uh, desert and, and, uh, and woods. And, the single best thing I've ever done in my life. And I think every human being alive should do it regardless of what you're struggling with. But that's, that's where I found meditation in a more meaningful way. And, and that I believe is the biggest catalyst for positive change and decided I want to start helping people instead of hurting people. And now within the last two years of starting rich legacy, almost by accident, you know, I've worked with Royal families in the middle East. I've worked with fortune 10 executives. I've worked with, you know, Inc 50 founders. And I'm just pinching myself every day because I, I can't believe it. I should be dead. And here I am helping and bettering the world uh, through my pain, right? Helping others from my place of pain and experience. Yeah. Man, that just every time you tell that story, and obviously this is only the second time, I'll maybe even say the third time that I've heard it, there's just so many questions that r- rush through my head. Like when you're talking about selling drugs, now I've never sold drugs. I've openly taken steroids before in my life. I no longer take steroids. But what sort of, when you say you were, selling drugs. Is that a $1,000 a week thing? Is that a $10,000 a week thing? Not necessarily gross profit because, again, we're entrepreneurs and a lot of the people that listen to this are entrepreneurs, but what's the size of an operation that a 16 to 20 year old, you know, 16 to 18 year old man is running? What does that look like? Uh, it's For me, it, was, it wasn't anything too excessive mm-hmm. uh, because I was so busy using them as well. I was, I was, uh, right. There's a, sure. I don't most. I don't know if people heard this or not. There's they call them the Ten Crack Commandments, which is a a, a Biggie song. But yeah, it's uh, never get high on your own supply. I'm sure people have heard that before, and I was really bad at that one. And uh, <laughs> I I was really good at, at giving drugs out to all my friends because I just wanted to party all the time. So yeah. in terms of you know building a true empire, it, you know wasn't all that crazy. But you know at at most I'd, I'd get a couple hundred ecstasy pills at a time, or you know a couple pounds of weed at a time, and then I would front that out to people within my little crew that would then go sell it and you know bring the money back to me and keep keep some of the profits for themselves and yeah um, yeah it was you know a lot of it was like this tough guy fantasy type playing out too because uh, I was I was not good at sports when I was when I was little I wasn't coordinated I couldn't catch a ball ball to save my life I, you know I, I threw like a girl which you know these days doesn't mean anything but at the time that was that was like the, the running joke and and yet I've always been this like alpha male type, you know, alpha energy. And I didn't have a way to express that. So I would fight and be a pain in the ass and, and you know, sell drugs and do all these things to express my masculinity because I couldn't do it through sports. 
Uh, and then eventually I got coordinated, but by then everyone else had been playing sports for so long, it didn't matter anymore. And I was way behind the curve. So I was yeah. like, what are the rules for this game? I don't know how this works. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that didn't help at all in terms of, of the desire to do some of those darker things. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a journey. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and, and only because I feel like this is it's open season with you and I, especially with how open you are with sharing this, having, this is the first time I've had the opportunity to speak to somebody that I'll say is a attempted suicide survivor, you know, and, and, and however attempted to me, when you get to the point in your life that you have a gun in your hand with the intention in your mind of ending your life, whether you pull the trigger or not, the intentions there, like to me, you're a, you're a suicide survivor at this point. I'm just, and that's just my own personal viewpoint. Will you walk me through or walk us through what gets you to that point And then Obviously, it, it, divine intervention, med- whatever the higher purpose is that I, I would say that you and I believe in, especially you brought up meditation. That's something I do every day, have for a long time. But there's something that clicks that has you not pull that trigger. You know, and can you walk us through that, you know, that day, if you will, at the high level? Uh, I, I can't really. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've, been, I've been doing cocaine for probably three four days straight uh i've been drinking you know the whole time i'd probably i don't know had two and a half maybe three handles of vodka in in that same time frame and so you know i'm just kind of floating in some weird esoteric headspace Mm -hmm. but the I, i can tell you the the looming voice that got me there and it's, it's been with me my whole life. And, and a thing that I work with a lot of the families that I work with, you know, especially the, the uh, tends to be more the father figures is my dad's way of showing me love was to always show me the quote unquote right way to do things. Uh, he's a very analytical, precise um, accountant. Right. And I, I've become more that way through my experiences with him and, and just through evolution. But by nature, I'm very impulsive and creative and an ADHD kid and all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so in his effort to show me love, again, coming from a positive life, it, uh, from a positive place, it was, oh, you know, what is this thing that you just did and how could you have done it better? But it wasn't as much a question versus just like you did it wrong. So, you know, I'm... I'm washing dishes at five years old, right? And I'm super excited and these bubbles are flying everywhere. And you know, I'm standing on my little wooden stool so I can even reach up in the sink, right? And, and I'm just having a good old time. And I'm all excited and proud of what I'm doing. I'm contributing to the family. And my dad comes into the kitchen and he says, oh, yeah, that's, that's great. That's awesome. But just so you know, it's the friction of the brush that gets the food off the plate. Using hot water and running the water on full blast is just wasting energy and electricity and ultimately money. So you can just imagine how defeating that is for a five-year-old. Yeah. That pattern just continued. Again, not from a not from an ill place, right? This was like, hey, like I'm going to teach my son how to do things the right way and the most efficient way and mm-hmm. the most effective way, and and as a result, he'll be great, right? His life will be easier as a result of that. And, and in, instead, it completely destroyed me. Right. It was like anything I did never felt good enough. I always felt stupid uh, and less than. And, and I battled that my whole life. And finally, through years of, of treatment and self-discovery and, and meditation and, and success where I can hang my hat on. Well, if these things I'm saying to myself are true, 
well, then I wouldn't have been able to achieve X, Y, or Z, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that voice is just the most toxic thing I've seen in a lot of people's lives. It's just this, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. Because shame, shame is I'm a bad person, guilt is I did a bad thing. And that shame is like, I'm not good enough, I'm not a good person, because I didn't do this thing right, is number one, it's bullshit. But number two, it's incredibly defeating and painful. Right? And yep. it just destroys people's lives. Like you look at anyone with real self-destructive behaviors, I can almost guarantee that's part of their internal dialogue. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's one of the things that we cover. I mean, I'm very open about it. I'm part of an entrepreneurial group called Wake Up Warrior uh, by Garrett J. White. And that's one of the things that we dive into so intensely to start with, with every experience is we call it the shilt, the shame and the guilt that we all carry around and, and the weight that that you know, perceivably puts on our shoulder and adversely affects our psyche. And, you know, it, even, you know, successful entrepreneurs, producers, anything you want to call them, we all have this thing that then mask with the fact that we've been taught by our generation of fathers to not show emotion, not have outlets, not know how to really process through these thoughts because you're not supposed to like being a man from my dad went, don't cry, don't show emotion, stand tall, keep a stiff upper lip. Like that's what being a man was passed down to me as. And again, just like you're sharing, Bradley, not that my dad was a bad guy at all, but that was what his dad taught him. Right. And so until there's something like you're doing, this massive pattern interrupt that can start breaking down the trail of tears, I'll call it, that's happened generation over generation, like that there's not a pattern interrupt for most guys. Most even now today, if you haven't listened to my show or you're not of that mindset to expand and look for more, I would say the majority of the men in the that you or I would know that don't think this way, think the polar opposite, where they still don't show emotion, where, you know, there's this fear of not being considered a man if if they agree or understand or accept the fact they have shame and guilt. It's really a vicious cycle that's that when you you're smiling. I mean, obviously you guys listening, you can't see it, but he's smiling because it's when you start to adopt and adapt life this way, you start to see all the people and you're like, man, if you guys would just take a day and figure out why these things are happening you don't have to live that way anymore. Like it's a really messy way to live life. It is. It is a messy way to live life. And, 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 you know, I, I try and teach kids meditation. I don't try. I do. Um, in part of the work that I do and I explain it to them. And sometimes even, even to parents that are anti woo woo, who still think meditation is woo woo for whatever reason. I don't, I don't quite understand that one, but, I explained to him as, look, meditation is mind control. Like you kids want to have a superpower, I will give you a superpower. It's called mind control. If you can control your mind, you have a superpower, right? To go from the participant in your thoughts to the observer is the most powerful place to be. Because instead of, oh, I'm, I'm angry, and not even being able to articulate I'm angry, it's just overwhelmed by anger. It owns you to a place of, huh, that's interesting. I'm angry right now. That slight gap in experience, that slight pause, that place of reflection is life-changing. It is absolutely life-changing. It's, like, uh, it's like driving. I used to have horrible road rage, and you know that's on a spectrum. I'd get really angry and pissed off and you know, scream and yell or flick people off or whatever, just stupid stuff. And then all of a sudden, I had this epiphany of all places when living in Los Angeles, which is not a place you think you'd have a shift in your your uh, affection or affinity for traffic, but it is possible, I assure you. And it was this, it was, I'm getting mad at this person who just did so. let's say they cut me off. I've either done that before, or I'll do it eventually, on purpose, 
or by accident. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm yelling at myself, right? I've either done this before or I'll do it eventually on purpose or by accident. And it completely shifted my mindset. I don't get angry at other drivers anymore. Maybe for a split second, but it doesn't own me. Then I just go, huh, that's interesting. I'm yelling at myself. Why am I yelling at myself? That's yeah. mind control. That's power. Oh, absolutely. That's power. That thing doesn't own you anymore. You own it. Game over. Bring it on, life. What do you got? You can't, you can't beat me. It's impossible. Yeah. And I believe in the law of conservation of energy in, in some sort of permutation. So what that would say does matter can't be created or destroyed. It just changes hands, essentially. So I always look at it as you know that road rage or that that anger boils up inside of me as i'm going to emit that into the universe well there has to be that that same feedback loop then has to come back in some ultimate capacity and it might not be in that moment but it's going to come back around at some point and it's completely unnecessary like like you said it's that mental shift of knowing that you know thoughts be, do become things i believe when you focus on them enough i mean it's how i live my life and that thought of anger and frustration then takes you down this whole rabbit hole that you have complete control over. Like you're, like you said, through meditation, I'm in control of my thoughts, not vice versa. I'm a, I'm an active you know spectator, not just a participant. I can switch in and out of those zones, which you, you, it's such an eloquent way for you to put what meditation really is. Because it's that's one of the questions I get asked most frequently on the show is, well, how do you meditate? Well, I, I I truly don't believe there's a right or wrong way. It starts with quieting your mind and being able to feel some sort of center, and then I've I've expanded and increased my capacity above and beyond that. What would you say if, if, if I'm asking you right now, Bradley, what is meditation? How do you meditate? What do you, what do you start somebody down that path? Uh, I first, depending on the age, you know, I will go through the mind control thing because you got to sell it a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, some people aren't even at the point. Yeah, it's meeting people where they are, right? But if somebody's interested in meditation, I'm very careful to explain and get clear on expectations just like in in marketing copy right you you've got to address the objections within the context of the copy right so they don't even have those questions you've addressed them so bam 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 yes becomes a natural part of the equation right and with meditation it's oh i've tried that i'm 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 too i'm too adhd or you know i i can't turn my mind off like it's not for me. That's a joke. I can't do that. The number of times, Brian, I've been, I've been meditating off and on for over 10 years. The number of times I've actually turned my mind off, turned my thoughts off and had complete silence. Five to 10, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe. And maybe some people have different experiences than that, but most people I talk, I mean, what about you? Is, is that a common occurrence for you in your meditation? So it, it's, it's, I'm going to buck the system here a little bit. It started to become. So I went through this whole evolution of thinking it wasn't for me, wasn't able to quiet down my mind, use something called a muse, M-U-S-E, to help monitor my brainwaves because I'm analytical. So I could see at least that I was becoming more calm. Then got tied into you know the binary signaling and what that looks like, mirroring up the left and right hemisphere of your brain through audio signaling. Found something called brain.fm to pump sound into my head so I could essentially have the two hemispheres of my brain aligned for the first time, which is from my research and a little bit that I know essentially induces a theta state through meditation. And that theta state is that disconnected state. And so once I was able to be forced to experience that, it's been much easier on an ongoing practice 
to choose when I'm able to experience that. And I, I found out if I use electronics or, you know, there's a whole bunch of variables that I can't help but split test everything. So in my morning ritual, my morning routine, if I leave my phone on the side and I don't answer emails and I don't look at Instagram or Facebook and I just dive into meditation, I can get there pretty quickly, which, which I would call almost transcension. Like I don't feel like I'm in my body anymore. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm in a dreamlike state, but I'm still awake. It's, it's a fun place to be. I can't say it's hundred percent of the time, but you know, sure. I guess in saying that, does that mean my mind is off or on at that point? Because I'm not in control of those thoughts anymore. I'm just kind of drifting. Yeah. I feel like there's different levels to it. So I would say that's like in between and then beyond that is, is true silence, mm-hmm. right? Where you can go to a place where you can even turn off that dream state, yeah. um, which for the sake of this conversation is, a, is a, I don't know that it's fruitful for your listeners, especially if they're just exploring meditation, but more the, uh, the expectation, right? Because if somebody who doesn't have the right expectation even experiences that more dreamlike state that you're referring to, they would consider that not successful because right. they think they're still having these thoughts, right? Yep. Um, but on the lower end of that, at the, the initial pass, it's, it's the inability to turn the thoughts off, right? And, and so most people believe that if I don't turn my thoughts off, I'm not successful at meditation. And that's just not true because you're training that muscle in your brain to be the observer versus the participant. So to even sit and be present, truly present to the thoughts that are occurring are, it's huge. It's, it's life-changing. Mm-hmm. And once people start to understand that and they change their expectation that I'm supposed to sit there and go home and not have a single thought in my head. And then when that doesn't happen, I quit or I give up because I'm not doing it right. I'm not good at this, which is bullshit. Then they allow themselves to ha- continue to have these experiences and grow through it. And then they might be able to achieve that dream state. And then they might be able to achieve this complete quieting of the mind. Right. But that's, that's like, oh, uh, you know, I want to, I want to have a, I want to play baseball, right? Oh, I played three games and I, I don't have a, you know, 300 batting average. I quit. Right. Oh, it, it doesn't it, make any sense. It does Meditation, it's just an easy thing to, because it's not easy. It's uncomfortable, right? There aren't those tangible wins that you get with a lot of practices, which is why I think a lot of people give up on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I like things like Muse. That's a great example where you do have something more tangible, but just spending five minutes to be present in this day and age, especially it's huge. I mean, people don't even go to the bathroom without taking their phone with them. Right. right. You yeah. don't have five minutes in your day to just go, where am I? You're like, what is going on? How, how am I, am I centered emotionally? How does my physical body feel? You know, you look at the posture thing, that's going on with everybody who's, you know, on their phone and on their computers. And this is something I've struggled with a lot um, over the years. And just realizing that when you're so, there's such a lack of presence, you don't even realize that you're literally walking around like a hobbit because you haven't been present to your body and aware of where you even are. You're we're basically brown out, right? Was they say when you drink, right? But you're kind of blacked out, but not really. We're yeah. essentially going through life with a brownout all the time. Absolutely. And then going for the blackout on the weekends to seal the deal. It's, I mean, it's crazy. So that brings up just another question. I found now that if I can take 12, 14, 24 hours and disconnect from electronics, and it's tough in the social media age. I mean, obviously, I grow my listenership. I grow 
my presence online by using Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, everything that all of us use, that's part of my business. That's part of my life. But I found like this past week, I had two forced days when I was out in Laguna Beach where when we go to a wake up warrior event, there's no phones. Like it's not, it's not up for negotiation. The technology is gone and it's gone from six in the morning until at least 10 at night. That reset button is so powerful for me just to, if, like you said, it forces that amount of, you know, true presence and being aware and being thankful and appreciative and all the great levels of gratitude that can exist when there's not those distractions. What's your thought on that? How often are you able to disconnect from technology, social media? Is it something you focus on that it's, it's part of your weekly practices is it when it happens? What's your, what's your thought on that? It waxes and wanes. Uh, it, it's definitely an evolving and changing thing. I'm always careful to tell people I'm not one of those, you know, I do the exact same thing every day. And I have been for the last five years and I will continue to do those exact same things. There's certainly staples in what I do, but in my own life, trying to attach to that perfection, while it's good for uh, something to aspire to, for me, because I am so critical of myself, if I attach too much to that, it gets worse rather than better. So if I, if I miss a day, if I'm being too militant about it, then I beat myself up over it and then I'm more likely to miss more days. Whereas if I, I'm gentle and have grace with myself and I miss a day, it's like, okay, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so that mindset is, is important for me, uh, just to preface this. I've, I've done periods in my life where I would do, you know, screen-free Sundays, right, where I would do no technology for a whole day. Uh, I don't do that currently. Right now, I cut off all electronics at 9 o'clock is my cutoff. Uh, 9 p.m., you know, all screens are off, and I usually go to bed around 11, so it gives me a solid two hours of, you know, to decompress and, and be present. Uh, I try not to check my email or my phone, period, before I get up and run and, and meditate to start my day and do a little journaling but that's just not always the way it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that's lack of, of discipline on a particular morning, and some of it's because I have overseas clients and I you know, never know what comes through in the middle of the night that I've got to be present to first thing in the morning. But I don't know if that's true or not either, right? Is it really that important? Do I really need to be present to those things? You know, that's, that's a different conversation. But yeah, it's, it's definitely something important, and the more studies they do that show how technology mirrors drugs in our brain, you know, when I see a two-year-old with an iPad, understanding that the video games on on a lot of these systems are literally creating the same response in the brain as cocaine is frightening to me because it's an external way of, self, of soothing. And so they don't learn how to self-soothe because they're constantly looking outside of themselves to soothe. Well, most of us aren't exposed to that kind of dopamine rush until we find, you know, sex or drinking or drugs or, you know, later in our teens yeah and now we're introducing it two years old wow that's that's we're playing with fire there oh absolutely and it, it's refreshing to me interesting as well you're the third fourth fifth guest i've had on the show that has covered the same type of morning ritual that it seems like the most successful people that i know all have some sort of ritual where they try to stay off technology they meditate they work up a sweat in the morning they really take, whether it's 20 minutes or two hours, they take this time block for themselves, almost unapologetically. Like, that's your time to do the things that I call putting yourself in personal power. Like, you're, you're doing things to make yourself feel good before the world starts beating at your front door. And 
I found for me it works best when the sun's not quite up yet. I think the birds chirping and the energy of of the world. I like it when it's dark a little bit. You know, I, there's a different vibration and frequency to the world at that point. And once once all that stuff starts coming, I just get a little more tense. Like I'm ready for the day to start. I just I love the fact of hearing it without any sort of like I, I didn't set you up for that, but it sounds like that's give or take your morning ritual. Like meditate. You said meditation, running, probably eating something, putting a little healthy fuel in your body, journaling. You covered journaling. Like that's success leaves clues. And as cheesy as that sounds, like you are obviously very successful in your craft and your industry and you have an immense amount of passion and fortitude for what you do. And you do these things that are, they don't cost any money. These aren't expensive things that you're doing. It it takes time and time has value, but your life is a product and a, a, a combination and culmination of all the events and things that you put forth every day. I just, I love the fact that you shared that unapologetically and without being primed. Like if I could impress anybody that's listening right now to do something to make a shift in your life, get up an hour earlier and do all the shit we just said. Like, that's it. Like, you do that, that you'll start this whole speed rush of things that come and your life will start to change if you can stick to it, as I call it, outlasting the suck. There's a part where you're going to not want to wake up. Like a Saturday morning when it's a, you know, you just don't want to wake up Saturday morning. It's, it's because you're programmed that Saturdays matter. Like society has told us that Saturdays should be different. But in my opinion, we created the confines of time. We created the calendar. So Saturday is nothing more than a, a thing that we created to monitor and track one another, like almost like a pissing match. Well, if you look at Saturday as like every other day and you just got up and did the work, Saturdays count, like weekends count. And again, I'm on a high horse right now and on a tangent, but it always pisses me off. I'm like, yeah, I did it five days in a row, but the weekend I slacked off. What the fuck do you mean you slacked off on the weekend? Like we created the weekend. Like, why is it that Monday through Friday is the only time you, not you, obviously, Bradley, you're, you're dedicated and committed to your own process, but why you think that the weekends are a time to operate differently? Sure, if you want to sleep in a little bit because your body needs a recharge, I get that. But then you should still start your day in that same mindset and methodology of doing the things that you know make you feel better, at least in my opinion. I don't, again, I, I digress as I'm, I'm hijacking the interview and, and taking us in a whole tangent direction. I just, I can't help it. No, it's 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 important. I, I I will say that there's different tools for for different parts of the journey, right? It's like uh, hiking a mountain that has evolving conditions, right? Maybe at the base there is no snow or ice, uh, but as you get higher and higher, it requires different tools and, and gear in order to be effective or successful or to you know to reach that next level. And, and I think for people just starting in, in that kind of personal development mind shift, I would say the, the concept of a quote unquote cheat day has, has been powerful for me uh, when I first started because it lets a little pressure out of the valve, right? So like Tim Ferriss, I'm a huge fan of, and, mm-hmm. and one of the things I took from him, I did the low carb diet at some point. I can't remember when it was. I've done it multiple times. But, you know, his concept is a cheat day, right? So you eat perfect, basically, for six days. You have a perfect breakfast to create that baseline. And then, you know, you have a cheat day. You can eat whatever you want. Like, you can eat a case of Twinkies and 10 pizzas. And, like, literally, your goal is to throw out or throw off your metabolism and shock your system and all this kind of stuff. And to give you that pressure release. But at first, that was valuable, and it allowed me to stick with something much long, eating perfect much longer than I ever had before. Uh, but then over time it evolved to, well, then I just wanted maybe I'll have a cheat day, but I'm not going to eat a, 
you know, three tubs of Ben and Jerry's, I'll have one tub of Ben and Jerry's. And then it evolved from there to, well, I'm not even going to have a cheat day. I'm going to have a cheat meal. And then it was, well, my cheat meal doesn't have to be so crazy. And so like those tools changed as I became more comfortable and confident in my, my footing on the mountain, so to speak. Um, because I, I, I'm just leery. There's pros and cons, right? I think you can have someone come into a new system and be militant about it and they're going to do it absolutely every day. But I don't, I've, I've yet to see that be sustainable unless there's some real accountability in their life mm -hmm. uh, and some real skin in the game. And so then they fail and then they feel like, oh, this isn't for me. Uh, versus like if, if there are those outlets and there's a gentler tool at the beginning to get them comfortable with it and then they gain confidence and then they evolve up the mountain. Yeah, and that's that's just what, what seemed to have worked for me and the things that I've tried. And, and you know, I've certainly tried it with clients and, and they seem to respond well to it as well. But um, but with some clients, I am militant, right? It's like, nope, I can tell by your personality. Like, if you don't do this every day, you're not going to do it. Yeah. So, you know, it's personality driven for sure. But yeah, I, 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 I agree and, and also see, you know, the parallel of that uh, of that approach. Well, I appreciate the conflicting viewpoint. I mean, it's I look at the world through the scope of what I've lived in and breathed so far. And so one of the my pet peeves in the bodybuilding or fitness industry, you know, you get ready for a competition. And whether you think highly or negatively about this, you get ready for a competition. Most diets are 14, 12 to 14 weeks. It's kind of like the gold standard. And I don't know who came up with that because it should be based off science and math. But second conversation for a second day. And you look, this person has eaten clean for two weeks straight. And they want to be on stage where they're being judged and critiqued basically naked. Like they're putting, they're subjecting themselves to this. And after two hard weeks of dieting, which is still three to 4,000 calories a day, like they're never hungry. You just don't get to eat donuts anymore is really how it starts. The, the new wave after Tim came out with his book and the new wave of thought is what well, now you've earned yourself a cheat day. And I fully agree with a cheat day to restart your metabolism and throw in some external variables. But it almost seems in my opinion, in that space that it allows this laissez faire, like hands off, like, Oh, I'll eventually get there. Like, I don't really have to be all the way dedicated right now that, that the future is still 14 weeks away or 12 weeks away or 10 weeks away where until your body is running so efficiently that you need a shock to the system, I would challenge that conversation. Now, again, that's just the way my mind works because that's the world I came from. I obviously don't compete anymore and could quite honestly give a shit about ever doing it again. So from what you're saying, from having all the experience you have with coaching and me having next to no experience with coaching, it's a refreshing mindset. It makes me question where I'm sitting as I'm starting to help and you know mentor a few people. How militant am I really being when I should probably take my foot off the gas a little bit because I'm an all or nothing. Like I have a shirt that I wear that says go all in or quit. Like it's a, a credo, credo that I live my life by. Like I don't know any mid ground. I'm an extremist by nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's case by, by case with the person you're working with uh, for sure. But, I, you know, in, in your example, you're talking about competitive bodybuilding, right? Which means you're, you're towards the top of the mountain. If you were going to, you know, for basically you said it's 12 weeks is kind of the standard, yeah. right? Yep. For the diets. Yeah, right? 10, so 10, 12. If you're going to take 12 weeks to eat perfectly, I mean, you're, you're, you're at a different level. You, you've practiced dieting on some level in many different iterations and, and durations and that kind of stuff before you know, going all in on something like that. And I agree, you know, it's, and it's one of the things I wrestled with as I've shared this, this concept and, and contemplated it in my own mind is, 
is we're aspirational beings, right? And we want the idea of perfect to aspire to and think, oh, well, if this person can do it perfectly, then I can do that. And it gives you that momentum. Uh, but I'm looking for long term, right? I'm looking for what's the most sustainable thing mm -hmm. uh, because you can get these great, amazing short term gains. But if you're not able to stick with it, and especially someone who due to personal development, uh, if you're coaching someone, you've got more of an opportunity to be militant because you have the accountability in place. Right. But for the you know typical person that's like, hey, I want to start doing better in my life. I want to start working on myself. And they're the only one within their friends group that's really focused on this. The chances of them being able to be militant through just self-control and discipline are next to impossible. Right. Especially if they aren't there already. Yeah. Uh, so that it's just uh, it's meeting people where they are, I think, is the most critical element of it. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty militant about every morning. I'm I'm going to break a sweat. I'm going to I use a five minute journal app because I don't like writing. It, I mean, I enjoy writing, but I don't like handwriting and mm -hmm. it just I don't want to get out my, my computer that early in the morning. So I even hate using my phone for this, but baby steps. But it's like a five minute thing, you know, what you're grateful for, what's going to make the day great and some affirmations. And that's enough for me. Right. And, and the meditation piece. And but at the same time, if I miss that in the morning, I don't I don't beat myself up over it. It's just more, oh, you know, I'm going to try and do it in the evening then. And then yeah. more than likely I do it in the evening. But that's evolution. Right. I wasn't always that way. At some points in my life, I had to be like, I'm going to do this every single day and. I would do it for a while, but then it wouldn't last, right? But now this, I don't know, it takes emotional maturity too. It's its very much depends on where you are in the journey is, is the bottom line, I think. Well, of course, and you're hitting the nail on the head. To me, just like everything in life, there is no one size fits all. Like just, I don't care what it is. We've, we've all had our own teachers, our own mentors. You and I both continue to have some of those. And just because they impress upon us that this is the way you should do things, like I challenge everything. Like I'll try anything and I'll try to make it fit my schedule, but sometimes some things just aren't meant for me. It's, I give them, in, in my opinion, due time and course. Like I'll give something six, eight, ten weeks to see if it benefits and add value to my life. It's not a once or twice thing to see, but there's just no one, one size fits all solution. I just don't believe that exists. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's silly to think so. I think it's even breaking it down to what I do with clients is assessment, action, and accountability. So assessing where you are and really having that baseline to work from, because if you're not measuring your success in some way, shape or form, you, you're going to minimize what that success is and miss things uh, that'll give you the momentum to get to that next place. Uh, and then action, you know, what is your plan for getting there? What does that look like? Um, and then the accountability is who's going to hold you to this, right? Like I like smart goals. So instead of just smart goals, which are specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time oriented, I throw an S on the end, which is skin in the game. All right. So what are you, what's, what's your, what's your reward if you achieve this goal and what's your consequence if you don't. And I like setting them for one month periods. Right? And I, I keep things as simple as I can for families because I work with the whole family system. And so, you know, dad's got a goal, mom's got a goal and you know, all three kids have their own goal and then they have a collective family goal as well. But that's, more complicated, but they each have an individual goal that's for one month. Here's my smart goal, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that month, they can decide, hey, I was successful. I want us to do a new goal next month. 
or hey, I, I wasn't successful, or I wanna do more with this specific goal, and then I'm gonna add another one. So instead of having 50 goals, right, and then none of them end up happening, and it's easy to write it off, it's like, what's that one thing I'm gonna focus on this month to achieve? And then once I've got that, then I'm moving on. So I'm building these blocks of foundation to then grow, right? I'm putting, I'm, I'm learning the tools to get me to that next level. And when you're working with a kid who starts doing this at eight years old, and they do a new goal every month that's based on a character trait or a life skill or whatever it is, not only do they have that ingrained pattern of personal development, but they have truly become a badass, you know, by the time they leave the yeah. house, which is what, what the families are really looking for. Of course, that's a perfect segue into something you and I covered as we started off off the mic, and that's how infrequently we celebrate our wins, and how you know. I, again, I was out at a Wake Up Warrior event where the whole event was taking the twelve guys that have been together since the second week of March. We've been doing things as a small group and personal accountability, and spent a lot of time and energy together. And we're, when we go out to Laguna Beach, like. It's ingrained in our head like it's going to be not a beat down fest because that doesn't really adequately share what it is, but it's meant to shock our system. Like it's a pattern interrupt. Like by design, we know it going out there. So we're all out there with the frame that we carry, thinking, oh gosh, like what are we getting into? Like this is going to be bad. Like there's always some sort of something. And it ended up being this whole redirect of when's the last time over the past, you know, it was 147 days we'd been around each other. And none of us had celebrated a win in hundred and basically 150 days. Like, and so the whole event was that, you know, 12 of us just going back and reminiscing about all the memories and the positives that have come of things and the growth we've experienced and sharing that and also sharing with what we would call our brothers. You know, it's a, it's a male only group at that point, sharing what we've seen them go through. So really not only in ourselves, but also we, what we see in them. And it, it's unique because you, you were sharing something again, right when we first started, comparable, you know, part of your training and methodology is celebrating some of these wins. Is that a good way to, to set that up? Yeah, it's, it's celebrating wins as often as you can because it's momentum. Uh, it's, it's so easy to, especially for high performers, which are the people I work with, that they don't celebrate wins. It's part of what makes them successful. But once you, you're on that trajectory of success, if you don't allow yourself to celebrate those wins. You can you can be self-destructive in order to achieve some feeling of wins on a more regular basis. And what I mean by that is I found in my own journey that I'm addicted to momentum. Like that is my, that is like my drug of choice. And that's sort of my next internal discoveries to figure out how to change that relationship. But I'm still there I, and, I, and I'm aware of that. And so if my business starts to lack momentum for whatever reason, right? Who knows? Let's say the economy crashes and, and my business starts to tank. Okay, well, if I don't feel like I'm in a place of momentum with the business, that's really gonna mess with me because I'm, I'm just so, I'm so attached to the, the idea of momentum as a human being. And so when that starts to happen, if I don't have other areas of my life that I'm making momentum in, that I can look to and say, oh, there's momentum. Oh, I'm experiencing momentum here. I'm going to tailspin just to get to a lower place, a lower vibration, if you will, mm -hmm. so that I can then climb out of it because I'll feel momentum in the climbing out. And yeah. that's sick and that's twisted, but literally would self-sabotage if necessary in order to get to a lower place so I can then climb out of it and feel momentum. And you see people do this all the time. So, so people will 
experience great success and then they get bored and then they self-sabotage. And my belief is they're doing that so they can get to a place to get back to momentum. Right. Yep. Or they're, they're aspiring, aspiring, and they're, you know, getting hit, they're getting hammered and, and they don't feel like they're making that momentum and then they self-destruct. So they fall far enough that they know they can get that momentum quickly because they've been there and they've climbed out of something like that before. I love it. I mean, it's, it is the story of my life up until about 150 days ago was the exact story that you're painting, you know, success crash, success crash. Like there's just, there's no sustainable cause the climb is a fun part. Like put me in a foxhole. I'm the guy you want there. Cause I'm going to figure out a way out. But when I'm out on, you know, solid land and there's no threats, I'm lost. Not anymore. But I mean, that was the story. That was what I carried around for a long time. So I could not agree more with that statement if I tried. So we've got to have something to push against. And, and, and that's why I, I focus on making sure that these are bite-sized goals, especially at the beginning. Now, again, these evolve. The farther you get up the mountain, hey, if, if, if you want to be more sophisticated and complicated in your goal setting and the things you're achieving, by all means, but don't start there because you're setting yourself up for failure. Like, let's start with the easy things. Let's start with the fundamentals so you can go like, hey, this personal development thing is pretty cool. Hey, I'm pretty good at this. Hey, this feels pretty good. Hey, I'm making progress, right? Oh, I just knocked out three-month goals in a row right? Mm-hmm. And making sure those goals are realistic is huge. Because every, like if I ask an entrepreneur, or if I convince an entrepreneur to start meditating, right? If I'm like, okay, here's here's my experience. Here's the value I've seen. Is this something you're interested in? And they say, yes. They're like, all right, well, let's set some, some smart goals around this, something very specific. Without fail, Ryan, without fail, it's, okay, I'm going to meditate twice a day for an hour. Every day? Yeah, every day. Oh, okay. Let me know how that goes. Right. right. And that's what these, you know, we're high performers. We're drivers. We want that momentum, right? We're like, oh yeah, I'm going for this. I'm, I'm going to be the best meditator you have ever seen. Right. Yeah. And so then they go for that and then they don't succeed. And they're like, ah, oh, meditation. That's crap. You know, that's crap. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not doing that. Or, ah, oh, I tried that before. And then the weight of even thinking about doing it becomes so heavy that they avoid it. And then they never do it. So my thing is start small, get those wins, build from that momentum, build from there, build from there, build from there, build from there. I love it, Bradley. And and with that being said, when my listeners inevitably reach out to me and ask, where can I get more Bradley? Where can they find you at? Where, where can they get in touch with you? Where can they learn more about your philosophy? Feel free to shout out all the different ways and, and means they can get to you. You know, I'm not I'm not the best about social media. I'm trying to be better. I feel it takes me out of the moment, and I I try to avoid that. So I'm trying to come up with a better system for doing that. But I would say the easiest thing is uh, BradleyCallow.com or RichLegacy.com. Probably RichLegacy.com is your best bet. I don't do much with my personal page anymore. Uh, and then if you want to schedule a call with me. We just put in a new scheduling software. It's uh, richlegacy.as.me. So richlegacy.as.me for scheduling a call. And that's just like it sounds. It's R-I-C-H-L-E-G-A-C-Y is Rich Legacy. No no unique spelling, exactly how it sounds. And I'd, I'd heavily encourage you guys to all take a look in and see what Bradley, I'll say, has to offer. 
Uh, this isn't some sort of affiliate shout out. I'm not begging you guys for, for your business right now. It's more the fact of the value that Bradley adds is real value. Like this, this whole interview was, has been unscripted with just two guys that actually care to make a difference. That, that was the biggest thing that I connected with, uh, with, with Ryan in our, our conversation was, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to making money. You know, I think money is a beautiful tool. I think money makes you move more of who you are. And I've seen that happen in other people's lives. It's going to happen in my own life. If you're a jackass and you make a lot of money, you're going to be even more of a jackass. If you're a good person and you like make a lot of money, you're going to be even more of a good person. So I will challenge you, if you're a jerk, figure that part out first before you try and make money. Uh, we don't need any more of that in the world. But, um, but yeah, that was what I really connected with about Ryan is, is that, uh, like myself, I used to want to just make money. And my, my life was miserable. And now I just want to make a difference and help people, and I'm making more money than I ever have because I want to help people. I have a genuine interest in solving other people's problems, and people pay for that. They pay a lot of money for that. Now, what, what you, the listener, can't see right now is this entire interview, Bradley has been flying around Phoenix on his private jet, just streaming this, just burning through gas, just with, with the success. I'm completely kidding. I'm completely kidding. It's, it's not like that at all. We, we think the same way. Money, money is certainly a tool and something that I am, I am not UNICEF. I'm not philanthropic. I have a marketing business that pays the bills. But as far as adding the value and, and truly making a shift in people's lives that's impactful, that's, that's based off an internal calling, a desire to change the world more so than if there's plenty of coaches out there. There's plenty of guys out there that I think Bradley and I could probably both say their names pretty quickly that are doing it because they want to become social media famous or they want, you know, they want to have a Ferrari or Lamborghini in the garage where I would look at all those things as long-term byproducts of doing the right thing for long enough and helping enough people. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a reason for it's a because of. My favorite license plate I ever saw, Ryan, was on a, a, a neon orange Lamborghini, which wouldn't personally be my first choice, but it was, I, don't, I don't remember how long ago. It was like seven years ago. I think it was down in uh, Miami, Florida, and I just saw it in the, in the parking lot. And at first, you, you, of course, noticed the car, but the second thing I noticed on this beautiful orange machine was the license plate. And that license plate, all it said on it was simply, you can too. Yeah. And for somebody like that to put a license plate like that on their car, I was like, that is the most beautiful and ingenious thing I have seen in a long time. Absolutely. You can, but you know, you look at somebody like that, ah, like, oh, come on. Like, how did they do it? I heard somebody say the other day, the most genius thing I've heard in a long time, which was, you know, someone's going to judge you if you're rich that you either stole from people or rip people off or, cheated your way to success and if you're poor people are going to assume you're stupid or or lazy mm -hmm. so you can't win either way people are going to judge you regardless but just go out and do what's fulfilling and makes you happy that is exactly exactly right and, and bradley i want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the show today i love chatting with you and need to make more of a habit of it more than just on the show and a, a couple text messages like I just, I love, I love picking up what you're putting down. It, it's good stuff. I feel like we we think the same way and speak the same way. So, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you spending however long this has been on a, on a busy Monday in your schedule. Appreciate you more than I can express. Appreciate it. Keep bringing your light and love to the world. Obviously, people are connecting with it. 
just a couple. I'm, I'm on my I'm on my way. You know, my my goal, Bradley, is a million people to be impacted with this show. And when I say that million people, I'll hit a million downloads this month. I don't look at that as impact. That's just somebody that listened. That million comes when I can show a million emails where people have written me, or show a million reviews where someone took the time to take a further step. Like that's actual impact. I love the fact that you, the listener, are spending time to consume the content. Keep doing it. I love you for it. It's just different when it's not even because I want to grow a mailing list. Like I try to take out all the the, the backwards things it could ever be. It's just you know right now I'm at fifteen thousand seven hundred and some emails since I started, which is awesome. Like. Have a, have a folder, have them, all, have them all stacked together. I've just, you know, you the listener saying thank you. And some of you want more additional information or episodes, but it's, you know, we're all on this, like I said, we're in the process of progress. And I can just see that, you know, four years from now, there'll be a million people that I'll have an email that I can take a snapshot and who knows what will come after that. You know, but, but I appreciate it, Bradley. I appreciate the kudos. I want to celebrate the victory that I've had. Like I said, it's no small feat to be, I think I'm number 12 as we're recording this episode, 12 out of all all podcasts on iTunes. So it's good, but it all comes down to sharing the truth and doing the right thing by the right people. Well, Love it. with that, I'll, I'll say how we always wrap up the show. When you can implement the things that Bradley shared or the things that I share or anything to progress your life in a positive direction, you'll see that every day, day over day, you end up getting shit done. <laughs>